You're listening to the Ellis Rugby Podcast, the Rugby Heritage Brand. The aim of the Ellis Rugby Podcast is to celebrate the greatest rugby players from the long history of the game. You can help spread the word. Subscribe to the show on iTunes and please leave a rating and review. Ratings and reviews really make a difference. They will help build our following. Visit ellisrugby.com for our superb range of rugby heritage inspired fashion wear. We offer both rugby league and rugby union inspired garments as well as our core Ellis Rugby branded collections. Ellis Rugby, the rugby heritage brand. So what does Rugby League Cares do? Through Rugby League Cares and the welfare programmes, they help give players a better balance. The Benevolent Fund have been amazing for me from the day that I lost Danny. We're just trying to normalise the conversations of mental health. We're talking about anxiety, we're talking about depression and the signs and the symptoms. There's nothing wrong with having expectations within yourself and creating internal pressures, but what we're talking about here in terms of stress is when it becomes too much. They really are really are angels in disguise. The work of Rugby League Cares is so important because it does what it says on the tin. Because Rugby League Cares. Because Rugby League Cares. Because Rugby League Cares. Ellis Rugby is proud to partner Rugby League Cares, supporting both the charity and the Rugby League Benevolent Fund through the annual Rugby League Lions Luncheon. We are passionate about the game's heritage and our Ellis Rugby garments are inspired by the many great players, the wonderful teams and the great games of the past. Ellis Rugby, the rugby heritage brand. This is the first of a two-part podcast featuring our interview with the great Adrian Morley. In this edition, we discuss Adrian's early life growing up around Salford, his development as a junior rugby league player, signing professional forms with Leeds, working under Doug Lawton, Dean Bell and Graham Murray, his Great Britain debut and Leeds Rhinos' famous Challenge Cup victory in 1999. I'm delighted to introduce today's guest on the Ellis Rugby podcast, the former England and Great Britain Rugby League international, the outstanding Adrian Morley. Adrian gained 23 caps for England and a further 30 for Great Britain. He played for Great Britain in the Four Nations tournaments of 1999, 2004, 2005 and 2006 and also played in five Basketball Shield games against the New Zealand Kiwis. His England career began in 1996 against France and included the World Cups of 2000 and 2008, uh, as well as further Four Nations tournaments in 2009 and 2011. He began his career with Leeds in 1995 and was a runner-up in the Super League Grand Final in 1998. A year later, he starred for the Rhinos in the 1999 Challenge Cup success against London Broncos. He joined NRL club the Sydney Roosters in 2000 and won the Grand Final against New Zealand and Warriors in 2002. In addition, he was a runner-up in 2003 and 2004. He returned to England with Warrington in 2006 and helped them to Challenge Cup wins in 2009, 2010 and 2012, as well as Super League Grand Finals in 2012 and 2013. So I am absolutely delighted and honoured to introduce today's guest on the Ellis Rugby Podcast, Adrian Marley. I really appreciate you spending some time with us and appearing on the podcast adrian how are you doing yeah i'm doing good thank you kevin and um yeah i forgot some of the things but um you know when when the uh when you, when you read it out like that in, in the career it was a it was a long career but it was quite eventful as well so uh yeah i'm looking forward to talking about some of the experiences yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm out of breath actually after all that. <laughs> it seemed to go. And I think the last time we actually uh, saw uh, correctly, Moz, was uh, uh, I met you at the Lions dinner over in Bradford, which is usually a pretty good event, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, you know, when you when you're still playing, you probably don't take much notice of uh, reunions and, and that kind of thing. And um, I spoke to him, my good mate Jim Peacock, and we said, you know, when we do. 
and the boots up, we'll, we'll, we'll get to these reunions. And the first one I went to, it was absolutely fantastic. And uh, and we did make a pact that we're going to get to as many as we can. But they're, they're, they're very special, you know, people, all, all the ex-lions in the room and you know, some of my heroes growing up. And it's just just a great feeling to be um, to be part of that and to be a lion. You know, I'm a member now. I'm a lion for life. And I uh, love going to the, the reunion dinner. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to to uh, next January already, pal. Yeah, well, it's somewhere, you know, where there's a company, Ellis Rugby, a sort of honour to sponsor. And we love the event, you know, seeing all the old players. And uh, it's just a wonderful occasion. So uh, may they long continue. Just before we get into the content of the podcast, uh, much of which is included in Adrian's excellent autobiography, Moz, available at most good bookshops, including Amazon, Waterstones and the like. I just want to ask you about the exciting show Gods of League, The Enforcers, where you line up alongside Sam Burgess, Jamie Peacock and the great compare Dave Woods. Uh, this is sort of a, an exciting innovation for you? Yeah, it, it really is. It was, uh, it was the idea of, of Flash, uh, Mark, Mark Flanagan. We, we did a dinner for him for his testimonial at the AJ Bell Stadium in Salford and he's good friends with, with Sam from his time in Australia. And um, obviously, um, you know, I, I was with him at Salford and, and, you know, we know Jamie Peacock well, so he asked us to do the dinner, but the night went really well. And, um, you know, I, I was intrigued listening to Jamie Peacock and, and Sam Burgess as much as, you know, that he was enjoying my tales. And, uh, and, and he just had the idea, Mark, he said, I think, you know, we should take it out to the, 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 the rugby league public, really. So Sam's over for the World Cup. So we just said just before the World Cup, you know, we'll get you three together, and we'll, we'll try and hit a few uh, few rugby league towns. So so we're doing uh, Warrington, um, Halifax, uh, Leeds, and Hull. And uh, again, yes, yeah, so I was listening to, to stories from our career and international stories. And um, and you're right, Dave Woods is the compound who's a, you know, it's fantastic, Dave. And uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, it should be a bit of fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, if if anybody wants to buy tickets uh, for the events, uh, they're available uh, at website uh, such as ctickets.com. That's S-E-E-Tickets.com. Or they can be bought at ents24.com. That's ents24.com. Uh, just a reminder for the dates, they are uh, Thursday the 6th of October at Pyramid and Par Hall in Warrington, Friday the 7th of October at Victoria Theatre in Halifax, Sunday the 9th of October at the O2 Academy in Leeds and on the 13th of October uh, at Hull City Hall. Um, I'm absolutely positive that people will be uh, desperate for these tickets and uh, there'll be great events, I'm absolutely sure. Uh, Moz, now the formalities are over, I'd like to chat through your wonderful playing career starting in the early days and through all the challenges uh, that you've had to overcome in your journey in the game. Uh, you were born in Salford on the 10th of May 1977. Uh, you were the third born of three boys to Mr Leo and Mrs Mary Morley. Your first school was at All Souls Primary School and you only had uh, eight in your class, which sort of included three girls and four boys. But incredibly, three of the boys went on to play International Rugby League. Yeah, so there was uh, uh, Carlo Napolitano, who went on to play, he had a professional career with Salford, but then he played internationally for Italy, and he also went on to coach Italy. He coached Italy when they beat England in the in the warm-up for the 2013 uh, World Cup at the AJ Bell Stadium, so Carlo was coach then, and, and Nathan McAvoy, who um, you know started at Salford, but then he starred with the Bulls, and he played for his country, and he did go to rugby union, but they did come back to the rugby league, but Later in his career, he probably got hampered a bit by injury, but he was an absolutely fantastic athlete, and uh, yeah, it was so it was amazing when you when you, when you think that uh, you know out of the five boys, three of us went on to to play for our countries. Yeah, absolutely amazing, actually. Amazing fact. Um, as I was saying earlier, you had two brothers, Steve and Chris. Uh, and then when you were nine or ten, your parents discussed uh, adopting a little girl with you and your brothers, and it received a positive response. So you had a baby sister, Victoria. She was seven years younger than you. Were you really excited at this prospect? Yeah, I was. I mean, I used to get beat up off me two older brothers, so uh, <laughs> I didn't think 
I'll be up with you, me, me and my sister. But yeah. it would it would have been nice. Well, it was nice to have uh, just a, a female uh, character in the, in the house, and obviously another another sibling. So um, yeah, but by the time we'd, we'd done the formalities, uh, she wasn't a baby, but she was uh, six six or seven year old when we uh, when we finally finally brought her home. And uh, but yeah, she was been. Uh, been fantastic and uh, she, she actually lives in Australia now. She come watching me uh, with my mum and dad when I was playing at the Roosters. Met an Aussie lad and um, the rest is his. She's not been uh, back, back to Salford for, uh, for a while. She's got citizenship. She just come back to visit but she's, uh, I don't think she's going to come home anytime soon. But um, but yeah, so we, we do, uh, we're still close, we're still keeping touch and uh, yeah, she was a, a very uh, welcome member of the, of the Marley clan. Fantastic. And she lives in Sydney, presumably, does she? Yeah, she does. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, at least we've got somewhere to stay when we go and uh, <laughs> go and visit Sydney. But there's, uh, there's, there's too many of us now, so our house isn't big enough. But I think it's, you know, it's great that she's uh, seen the world herself and, uh, you know, she's, she's forged out her own, own little life. So uh, not a bad place to, uh, to relocate to either. Yeah, and you, you do get the occasion to actually get over and see where your kids, I presume, as well. Yeah, we do. And, um, you know, during COVID, she, she didn't come home for about three years, so she really did uh, miss everyone. And, uh, you know, I missed um, going over there, but then she did come back uh, recently, actually, so it was, it was great to see her. Yeah. And uh, we've got plans to go back as a family uh, next Next summer, uh, summer next year. So uh, we'll 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 uh, catch up with them. But with FaceTime now, it's not it's not like it was in the old days where you know the other side of the world, you're like a, a forgotten memory. You know where we do FaceTime on a regular, and the kids the kids keep in touch. So uh, we we are we are close in that regards. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just uh, moving on, really, there were a few sort of amusing stories uh, that were in the book that uh, I just want to chat to you about. Um, obviously, we've two older siblings uh, influencing you, particularly uh, Steve and Chris. I think they were influencing you around about 12 years old, your brother Chris suggesting taking a sip out of all the bottles in your parents' spirits cabinet. <laughs> it, it is thinking that they're not noticed, uh, but it, it didn't end that well, uh, though, did it? No, it didn't end that well. No, I was uh, <laughs> sick everywhere and had the worst hangover ever. And um, But I did say the next day, I'm never drinking again. Unfortunately, uh, I didn't I didn't stick to that promise, but um, but yeah, it was uh, weren't the best of ideas. But the things you do when you're kids, it's uh, seems like a good idea at the time. Yeah, yeah, and I think it continued a little bit with your brother uh, Chris when he signed for Saints in 1990. He sort of received uh, free crates of sponsored McEwen's lagers and sold and sold some to yourself fairly regularly. And one night, age 14, uh, you were caught drinking these with a, a mate of yours, Neil Farrow, by the police. And they marched uh, at you to your homes. Although Neil got a bollocking off his dad, <laughs> your father took uh, quite a different approach to it. Yeah, he just said, basically, I don't mind you drinking, Adrian, but don't do it on the street. And uh, so I got away with it, with it, with it, with it, with it quite, quite lightly, really. So uh, I mean, to be fair, my dad always, you know, he didn't, he didn't encourage his drinking, but he didn't mind if it was under his supervision. And I remember we was playing cards in my bedroom and. It come in with a, a bottle of lager. It was, you know, really cheap, three percent lager. But <laughs> you know, we was only thirteen, fourteen at the time. But we just thought uh, we was men, you know. We would just have had a, had a couple of drinks. You couldn't get drunk on it if you tried. But yeah. just for that few hours, we just felt like we was. Uh, he was men, you know, and uh, all the lads loved my dad for that for that reason. And uh, yeah, but to be fair, I did, we did take. Uh, take notice of we, we, we didn't drink much on the streets and um, I think that's half the battle you know that's where all the, all the problems come from kids being unruly on the streets so we just if we did fancy a beer we'd, we'd uh, ask my dad and he'd, uh, it, it, it accommodate us yeah, and it is that openness, really. It's uh, you know not keeping it a secret from anybody. I mean, you were you were you were just a normal kid, really. You know, sort of working class uh, lad, knocking about around the area. Lived. There was another time again knocking about with that good mate of yours, Neil Farrow, in the park, and you came across an air vent that led to a, a warehouse unit. Inside, you found three motorcycles and the keys, but you could only drive them three or four meters. 
But then you found a canister which said explosive on it. You know, this for a young kid is, oh, this is intriguing. Uh, but just tell us what happened next. Well, it, it was it was near near uh, bonfire night. So, uh, you know, around at that time of year, you know, you just try and find out things to burn. And, you know, when, when we did see that sign flammable, it was like a red rag to a bull. We thought, brilliant. <laughs> and then we were starting fires with this with this uh, liquid. Anyway, there was, there was a fair fire going on, but then uh, we had the bright idea we'll f- throw the full canister on the fire. So we did do that. But then, you know, looking back, it's, uh, it, it is really, and we was all stood around this fire thinking what's going to happen. And sure enough, the only thing that could happen was this... Uh, canister exploded and um, you know I was stood at the it was like a cylinder I was stood at the end unfortunately so the end blew off and then it was like a flamethrower that actually covered me in, uh, um, in in the flames so all me all my clothes was singed all my hair was singed and um, I got quite a bad burns but then luckily my, my friend lived near I was in the park luckily my friend lived near the, the park so I ran to my friend's house his mum and dad got me inside and they just put me head in in cold water and i really did feel that that helped me up probably or i may have been scared if it weren't for you know getting the temperature down in the face so quick and then then they found an ambulance and then they had to go up to hospital and i was just thinking all the time oh i'm gonna be i'm gonna be uh you know scared it's gonna be uh look awful but thankfully it wasn't as bad as um it could have been and uh I spent the night in the hospital I got told off of the doctors, got told off of my mum and dad, and uh, I had to wear a patch on my face for a week or so. But luckily, as I say, uh, uh, I got away with it, really, which um, some to tell the kids and the, and the grandkids, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, again, uh, very silly, but it's things you do when you're young and uh, with a bit of time with your hands. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a, a lucky escape. I mean, you know, you had to, it was an area really where you had to stick up for yourself. And uh, your brother, Chris, had quite an influence in your, in your younger days, a typical elder brother. Don't worry, I, I had uh, two elder brothers, so I know what it's like, uh, uh, Mars. And they basically torment you relentlessly. But at the same time, you know, Chris uh, sort of protected you fiercely. Now, I understand there was one occasion when you were on your way back from primary school and a high school boy whacked you for no apparent reason but um, there was no reason for it no warning he just came across clocked you on the side of the face and you went home in tears and Chris stormed out of the house to find the culprit but he couldn't find him and uh, it was fast forward two years and you saw this guy outside the shops in the precinct tell us what happened next well I mean it's funny when you see someone who you have had a previous bullying incident with. You know, my heart started going, and then I just said to our Chris, uh, "Said that there's that lad who punched me," and our Chris just, I could see his eyes just change. He said, "Right, I'm going to go, and, I'm going to go and <laughs> give him one back." But because I was with Chris, who's you know uh, older than me, and you know when I was with him, I just felt bulletproof then anyway he said I'm going to go and uh, give him a smack back I said no no I'll do it and he said okay then but then just because I had him with me by my side I don't, I don't think I dad would have done it on my own but I just went over and uh, gave him a, gave him this bully a slap a whack back and then I was thinking uh, you know just walked off with my brother but I'm thinking I wonder if he remembers he actually punched me you know a couple of years <laughs> since so I got him a bit of mad. I just thought I just walked up to him and punched him for no apparent reason but either way uh, he got what he deserved and uh, it just it felt, felt good actually but uh, but yeah that's the kind of uh, uh, when I was with Chris uh, you know uh, I just felt like uh, yeah I felt like I was uh, above my station really yeah, that was your first fight, and it won't be a last as well, really. No, but no. <laughs> uh, sort of up to the age of sort of eleven, you'd not shown any real interest in rugby league. Instead, uh, sort of, am I right in saying you were a big uh, Manchester football. United football fan, and particularly Brian Robson? Yeah, he was, he was my hero. So before playing rugby league, I played football, and I uh, played for a, a club, Seedley FC. And I was quite good at football, um, you know, back in the day, I was, was quite quick and uh, I played, played centre-forward for a couple of years, but then they put me centre-back, which I preferred playing uh, playing at the back, to be fair, and um, I was playing well. And uh, you mentioned I was a big big United fan and uh, Brian Robson was my uh, hero, but that, my, my dream at the time was to, to go on and play for United. And then, uh, so, but... but 
the reason I got into rugby league was uh, both, both my brothers played it, so I, I knew I would try it at high school. So uh, I went to high school and um, put my name down for the football team first, and then the rugby team was a bit of an afterthought, really. But then the rugby league season was before the football one, and uh, my first game of rugby league, and I just fell in love with the game instantly. It was um, it suited. Uh, a young aggressive man more than, than football and um, you know if I'm being honest I was I was kidding myself thinking I could have played for the United you know I was the <laughs> best, best of players but I just found uh, I loved, loved loved rugby league loved, loved playing it and then I joined uh, joined the club then so I played for scale but then I joined uh, Eccles uh, amateurs yeah, yeah. There was a story about you, you uh, going to watch your brother play. I think he was playing for Langworthy and they were taking on Eccles. And as well as Chris, there was also a useful standoff half called Wilson who switched yeah. from rugby league to football. And he had a pretty decent Man United career as well. He did. He did. Uh, Ryan Wilson, he uh, changed his name to Ryan Giggs and become the most uh, capped player in, in Manchester United's history. But uh, so people might not realise uh, the, the reason uh, Ryan come up and, and, and located in, in Swinton and Salford was because uh, his father played rugby union uh, down in Wales and then got an opportunity to come play rugby league up north. So uh, although Ryan was born in Wales, he grew up in Salford and um, he, he loved playing rugby league. And uh, to be fair, he was a very, very good rugby league player but I think he made the right decision in uh, <laughs> yeah, sticking yeah. with football but just a, just a really talented athlete and uh, he was really quick and you know chip and chase he could do uh, could do anything really but he, uh, apparently his dad was a was a very uh, accomplished uh, classy player as well it was I actually played against his dad actually uh, it was Danny Wilson his dad he played That's at right, Swinton yeah. and uh, I played South second division stuff but uh, played against Danny could never catch him at all actually right. so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but but like you say rugby league seemed to uh, suit your character sort of you enjoyed the collisions uh, both with the ball and hand uh, but particularly tackling that was your thing yeah I loved uh, I love defending and uh Yes, it's funny. Some people enjoy running with the ball, you know, passing, kicking. But I just love the love the defence. Uh, love, so love the love tackling. And uh, yeah, but it went until I was probably fourteen, uh, I think. That's when Brother Christie signed professionally for St Helens. And that got me thinking. Well, if he can do it, you know, why can't I? So then that that was me. That was my goal then to uh, hopefully one day sign professional and, and, and emulate me, me me brother. Yeah, well, you certainly put all your energy into rugby league and uh, you built a, a strong friendship that you've already touched on uh, with your school friend and rugby teammate, Nathan McAvoy. Uh, you became a keen Salford fan and eventually joined the Junior Red Devils and joined Eccles Rugby League Club, where you were grateful uh, to coach John Barlett uh, and uh, Paul Watson as well, father of current Huddersfield Giants coach Ian Watson, for taking you to matches and training. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Paul, uh, they lived uh, come only a couple of miles, but it was a massive effort for him to, to come and pick us up and take us to the club. And then wherever we were playing away, he'd actually take us to the away game. So, um, yeah, I'm so grateful for, for Paul, uh, you know, for, for taking time out. And, uh, you know, because we, back in them days, you know, we didn't get much help off our parents. So there was... There was a gang of us, there was Neil Farrell, Callum Potter, Nathan McAvoy, so there was a little, little gang of us all, all living uh, together, so Paul would pick us all up, job lot. But yeah, as I say, it's, uh, if it weren't for Paul, we'd probably fit in the bus and then, you know, it would be a, difficult to, to get to the uh, away games. But uh, yeah, so Paul, Paul was fantastic. And um, I want to mention my old coach as well, uh, Steve Evans, who... Uh, his son Craig was one of our one of the players, but, but Steve, it's a, it's a massive effort uh, to give up all his free time, you know, on a Tuesday night, Thursday night, and then Sunday morning to, to you know, I do take me out to these uh, coaches in the community game who, uh, who give up their time. So I want to thank Steve, Steve Evans. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it's right, actually. You don't understand having sort of coached rugby. You don't understand, well, you probably do, Adrian, but a lot of people don't understand how much time and effort you've got to put into it, not just uh, sort of coaching the skills, but also organising people and things. But, uh, but yeah. But there was one game in particular when you were playing for Eccles. I think you made history. Uh, you were playing an Oldham team that included a young Paul Sculthorpe, and you made... Like I say, you're on unique history in that match. Yeah, I did. Uh, but unfortunately, it was for the wrong reasons. And uh, <laughs> I had a career, a memory for uh, the wrong reasons as well. So I actually got sent off in this game. And uh, as I was on the sideline, I was uh, mad about the decision. I was mad about the incident. And then their coach come over to the referee and, and their coach and just said, look, I'd like to see uh, players being sent off. Why don't we let, let your, your lad go back on? Um so uh, we made an agreement, we went back on and then it started, this nonsense started again and I was fired up and ended up getting sent off again for the second time in, 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 the, in, in the same match. So yeah. Yeah, it's not, not a great uh, record to have on your uh, <laughs> next to your name, but uh, hey-ho, these things happen. <laughs> it is quite unique and you obviously had that sort of, uh, you know, pent-up aggressions from early days. But, you know, in terms of rugby league players, you know, kids were being signed at, at 12, 13 years old, but you were very much a late developer. You didn't make the regional or national representative side. And while many of the schoolboy superstars did make it, you sort of steadily improved and, and particularly prided yourself on your tackling skills. I did, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, there, there was, there's so many... Uh, Players at my age who were, who were more talented than me, um, you know, sound professional at 13 or 14, but they never never went on to make a uh, goal in their in their professional ranks for one reason or another. And again, um, you know, I had to have another year under 18s to to prove myself. But then that year under 18s, that's when I started really uh, finding my feet as a as a player. And I put a little bit of weight, and I was always really skinny as a kid, but put a little bit of weight on as under 18s, and then that's when I represented uh, Lancashire and, and uh, Great Britain Barla. And that's when I started getting a few uh, professional contract offers. But I think uh, I think Jamie Peacock's similar in, in that regards, that he was a bit of a, a late developer. You know, he wasn't destined to do great things at school. But, you know, that's the beauty of rugby league. It's how you how you develop physically. That can determine how you do in, in the pro ranks. And uh, thankfully, uh, I did get an opportunity, although a bit later than the other lads, but then, um, you know, it went really well as a as a pro. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, you sort of left school and decided to follow the path of your sort of other brother, Steve, who trained as an electrician, and you joined NG Bailey's in Manchester uh, and alternated between spending six months on site in Liverpool uh, and six weeks uh, at college in Leeds. You'd sort of seen your brother, Chris, a fine player, who had both Widners and Salford chasing his signature, uh, but he chose St. Helens. Like I say, I assume that must have inspired to think, well, actually, yeah, I can do the same and I can turn professional at some point. Yeah, it really did. And he was a big uh, hero uh, and inspiration to me, Chris. He, uh, he was the same position I was for a start. We were both second rows and, you know, uh, just uh, when he did sign pro, that was my goal. And, but, but when I did sign for Leeds, I was still a bit, uh, unsure of my stature and you know I'd had an offer from Swinton and an offer from Lee and they were in the lower leagues and I thought that was probably about my level still getting paid you know at a professional club but uh, in the lower leagues but I really wanted to sign for Salford uh, I lived 200 metres from the Willows where Salford used to play and I used to I used to be there every opportunity so the, the 18 the alliance reserve group played on a Thursday night I was there on a Thursday night the Italian player on Saturday was there on Saturday and then the first team on a Sunday and you know what to, to sign for, for Salford but then they didn't come in for me and we played uh, the Lancashire Cup final we made the final uh, uh, calls against Blackbrook and it was at the Willows and I thought right now I'm going to show Salford what I've got and uh, I played the final I played well uh, but that's when the lead scout come to me and said we come looking at Nathan McAvoy because all the, all the teams all the scouts wanted to sign Nathan he was our star player but he said, we've come looking at McCoy, but we like what we see in you, Adrian. We want to talk to you about signing. So, you know, that, that was how the opportunity 
to lead some of that. But it was funny how my job worked out. You know, part of my, you mentioned part of my training and the college was in Leeds and, you know, it was just quite quite freakish how, how it turned out because, uh, you know, I didn't think I'd be good enough to sign for Leeds. And apart from the great Wigan time, uh, Wigan side of the time, you know, Leeds were the, the second best team in the land. So I just thought I was a bit out of my depth, um, you know, going to Leeds. But it was something I was willing to do, something I was willing to, uh, to give it a go at. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you you mentioned actually you'd got of offers from uh, Swinton and Lee, but there was one story that that uh, Halifax had come in for you, and they were coached at the time by the great Malcolm Reilly, and he invited you and Nathan McAvoy for talk. I think you were offered uh, four thousand pound per year by a committee member, uh, and he said, "Well, that's the exactly the same that we're offering Nathan." Uh, however, you found out that on the car journey back with Nathan that wasn't quite true no I mean uh, I don't know if they thought we're not going to talk to each other <laughs> at the same time but yeah. for Nathan £8,000 a year which you know I was, wasn't was bothered at all about because he was you know at the time uh, our star player you know he played for uh, uh, the national side for, for a couple of years and uh, everyone wanted so that was probably about, about right the, the money but for them to say to me that's the same as Nathan's going to get you know they, they shot themselves in the foot really because you know as soon as they, they lied to us I just thought I'm not, I'm not going there but it was it was great meeting Malcolm really and you know having a chat with him but you know when, when, once they lied I just thought no I can't, yeah. can't really uh Go to Halifax. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a funny, funny turn of events. Yeah, well, you know, if they're not true to the word, um, you know, you can't trust people like that. Even Nathan turned them down, I believe, and he eventually signed with Ian Watson for Salford. But uh, yeah. Leeds, wow, you know, fantastic, really. You obviously caught the eye in the, that Lancashire Cup final. And it was uh, Bob Pickles who was the scout, I believe. And uh, the next day, I think your dad, uh, you know, got in contact with you and said... Uh, Doug Lawton had been on the phone and was coming round to see you. And when he did, uh, the offer was much better than you actually expected. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it was funny. Uh, my dad, you know, turned into an agent, my dad, and he was trying <laughs> to be, yeah, trying to be, uh, all, I didn't have a clue what he was doing, really. But, uh, you know, just, just the fact that, you know, this was Dougie Lawton, he was an ex-Great Britain captain and he was in our front room. My dad was quite in awe of Dougie because uh, my dad's a big big rugby man but but he just said we'll, we'll give you um, so we'll give you £6,000 as a, a signing on fee for uh, relinquishing your amateur status and then I could see Dougie thinking and he went oh no no sorry that's wrong we can give you 8500 because that, that that was the amount they could give you tax free yeah. as, a, as a signing on fee but it wasn't for him remembering you know what the new rules were, it, it would have done himself out of two. I was delighted. I was, I was delighted with six thousand pounds, but for him to say, uh, you know, we'll give you another two and a half. So I wanted to sign there and then, uh, but he said, no, you don't sign here. You come straight to sign. Um, but yeah, I was, I was just delighted with the uh, another offer from from Leeds Rhinos. I would have signed for five hundred pound and a and a track suit, given half a chance. But um, and then he said, after that, we'll give you three grand a year for. Um, you know the, the contracts for three years. Obviously, so many first-team games, you get so much bonus. Play for uh, Great Britain, you get so much bonus. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, signing was the uh, the main thing. And once you once you are a pro, that's when you start um, trying to climb the ladder in the uh, uh, the club. Yeah, well, I think your dad did a pretty good job as an agent, didn't he? I think you're yeah. offered 1,500 quid from Swinton, four grand from Halifax. You were sort of willing to accept about two grand a year at Leeds, but you got eight and a half grand uh, plus, you know, plus three grand per year and all the match fees and bonuses. I think your yeah. dad did a great job, actually. I did a great job, yeah, it was a uh, job well done. Life at, at sort of at Leeds, just moving on to Leeds, you were playing in the academy at Leeds and uh, you were selected uh, for the county game. Uh, you know, you must have been delighted with that, but you ended up in a white Yorkshire jersey uh, yeah. rather than a red and white Lancashire one. Yeah, no, I was I was delighted. Don't get me wrong, I mean, to play uh, any representative uh, rugby league is uh, a great achievement. But growing up supporting Lancashire and playing for Lancashire and but then uh, the rules were whichever club you were at, that's the, the county you represented. So because I was at Leeds, 
had to play for Yorkshire, unfortunately. So I was playing against all my old uh, Lancashire teammates. And um, they, they give us a bit of a stuff in it. I didn't know whether to be happy or sad after the game when, when Lancashire <laughs> won. But, uh, but it was uh, it was great to be in the mix. Um, you know, it, it proved that I was uh, you know one of the better players um, in, in the county at the time. So um, yeah, later on uh, that, that that year, I ended up uh, getting a chance to to represent Great Britain as well uh, as, as a as a academy player. So it was uh, just a stepping stone, which was great. Yeah, fantastic, really. Well, things certainly progressed for you at Leeds. Uh, you got drafted into the A-team, which is a sort of reserve grade, and impressed uh, Doug Lawton playing and scoring from the centre position. Uh, two more A-team games, and you were making your full uh, debut against LFC on a Friday night. It, it must have been a, a little bit surreal, sat alongside sort of internationals like Kevin Iro and Richie Ayres and Nellery Anley in the changing rooms. It, it was very- it's surreal because I was only 17 at the time and uh, as, as you say, I only played a handful of uh, A-team games and I got a, an opportunity to play for the first team but I was uh, uh, very, very nervous obviously but I was also very excited and uh, the, it was only two summers back in the day and um, I was on the bench but I just thought if I can get like you know, five or ten minutes at the end of the game, that'll do me. But then Marcus Vasilakopoulos went down, who's my position, uh, after about 20 minutes. So then in going on after, after 20 minutes and, and played the full game, but it was uh, it was fantastic. There's probably about, about 12,000 people out in the stadium and it was by far the biggest crowd I've played in front of at that point. But, um, but you just mentioned a few names there, Gary Schofield and Ellery Anley and Craig Innes and, and uh, Kevin Iro. Alan Tate, these were uh, world-class players, you know, who I'd grown up watching and uh, I did have to pinch myself thinking, well, am I really playing with play with, with these legends? And uh, But it was great. I, um, I nearly scored, actually. I, uh, <laughs> I, I was backing up uh, Kevin Iro and uh, he drew the full back beautifully. And all, I, all I had to do was catch the ball and I would have scored and I ended up dropping the ball. So uh, even though I was pleased with the, the majority of the, uh, of the debut, um, yeah, it was that was the, the the one that got away. I could have scored on me on me on me debut, but so that was a good Friday. And then um, and then Dougie came up to me after the game, said, "Forget about the drop ball. I thought you played well. I want you to start on Easter Monday." Um, so that that was when I got my first start, and that was away at Thrum Hall. So uh, yeah, I got me got my first start. I actually, I did score that game. So uh, on my first start for, for Leeds, I, uh, I scored a try. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, in that in that uh, game again, LFC. I think you've you know you mentioned uh, there was that opportunity to score off Kevin Iro, and obviously you know young lad must have been disappointed. But before the final whistle, uh, you managed to compose yourself and you hit Hull's hooker Mike Dixon with a big shot, and he spilled the ball, and all the Headingley fans went wild. So you were you were back on side with the Headingley faithful because of that, uh, <laughs> yeah. which was great, but. Uh, uh, Doug, as you mentioned, you know, you put you in the team against the uh, Halifax, and uh, apparently he made one of the shortest and funniest uh, pre-match team talks. Can you remember what I said? <laughs> I, I, do, I do, and uh, yeah, I was obviously very nervous. You know, it was my first start for the, for the club, and then there was no sign of Dougie anywhere, and I just thought, I wouldn't mind a bit of, you know, words of words of wisdom from uh, the great Dougie Lawton, and uh, it was nowhere about ten minutes before kickoff, there was still no sign of him. And I could see a few of the, the older, you know, more experienced guys, they were getting, getting a bit edgy as well. And then uh, five minutes before kickoff, uh, Dougie walked in to the changing rooms, he had a fag in his mouth, he had a sheepskin jacket on, he walked in and he says, you'll beat these today, boys, because they're shit. Turn around and walked out of the changing room. So, so that was my introduction to, to first team. But, uh, yeah, but uh, I think it was his way of just making, you know, Relaxing everyone and uh, bringing a bit of humour, but uh, yeah, it certainly, uh, certainly stuck with me. And uh, yeah, me, me and the boys still talk about that now. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant story. You know, Dougie, a real character as well. But sort of, uh, again, uh, things were changing at, uh, in the game and actually changing at Headingley. There was the Super League and the ARL Wars. And Doug resigned, really. He left uh, the club on a bit of a sour note due to the enforced appointment, as he saw it, of uh, Dean Bell as his assistant. So uh, Doug resigned and uh, Dean and uh, Hugh McGann took over the coaching duties 
activities at the club. How did you get on with Dean? I got on well with, with both of them guys. I mean, because Dean said that his playing commitments for, uh, for, for, for a while. So he didn't join us for about about a month. So Hugh McGann actually coached us for a month, but I got on well with with uh, Dean and Hugh. It was probably a bit too soon for Dean in terms of he'd only finished playing that year and um, he didn't have any, well, not a great deal, or if any, experience in, in coaching. But yeah, I just thought it was it was a, it was it was a great guy, you know. Uh, he tried his best, uh, but probably wasn't what what Leeds uh, wanted. Uh, but but as I say, I got on great with him, and he gave me uh, gave me my chance, and a number of other players as well. And he actually he actually played a couple of games uh, where there was short numbers um, in, injuries, and he held his hand up and played. But um, you know, I, as I say, I enjoyed working with, with Dean, and would have been good to see him stay or you know, go to another club and carry on his, his, his coaching career but he, uh, he dropped down and, and started working with the youth at Wigan but I think he was always going to go to Wigan you know because he spent all, all that time there but uh, we, we had a great great couple of years uh, 96 and 97 uh, there at Leeds Well I mean uh, I've had you uh, again on the podcast most recently and uh, such a lovely lovely bloke really I, d- I don't know Dean particularly well Although, again, I keep saying this, I played against him when he first came over to the UK and was playing at Carlisle, uh, and he was a special player then, actually. Um, Dean sort of introduced, you know, a few changes during his short spell at Headingley. Uh, one of those was Edgar Curtis, a conditioner who'd worked in American football. And it was one of his sessions where you met your uh, really good friend, uh, the late Terry Newton. Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, Dean had worked with, with Edgar at the New Zealand Warriors and he come over and he was like a, like a breath of fresh air because, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd done weights training before but never... Uh, to this level, you know, it was uh, very scientific and very specific. And then, you know, he come from a, a wrestling and um, uh, medical football background. So, uh, but his, his philosophy was, uh, you know, let's get you big and strong. You don't matter if you're playing uh, medical football, wrestling or rugby league, you need to be big and strong and, uh, and uh, powerful. So we did a lot of... Uh, Power, power work, uh, a lot of cleans, and but, but it, it was great for me. I was still developing uh, physically. I was I was only uh, you know eighteen going to nineteen. I'd never done any serious uh, weight training before, but it, it was great for me. It really, really did help my physique, and um, you know he was he was great for for my uh, development. It really was. And yeah, you mentioned Terry Newton. He, he was a bit different to me. He was uh, he loved his weights. You know he he, he did weights from. Uh, 15, 16, and he was uh, he, he was a proper gym junkie. We were always in the gym, and uh, a lot stronger than me. So you know, I got I got teamed up with Terry's, but but it was good in a way, you know, because I was trying to trying to keep up with him, um, you know, setting the records, and uh, we were good for each other. But yeah, we uh, we got on great, and uh, yeah, it was a uh, pleasure to to train and, and play with Terry in the, in the early days. Yeah, yeah, well, it, it sort of certainly helps you, like you say, you know, it was that bit of competition with Terry in the gym. I imagine you two had competition about everything, cards and uh, and everything. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but you know, that was great. It, you need that sort of competition to develop and, uh, and and that certainly helped, you know. Now, although it was a really exciting time with Super League and the cash uh, that was brought into the sport, it was also worrying times at Leeds. Uh, it, it was a time where you just couldn't buy a win, uh, but somehow Leeds managed to survive during that period. Yeah, so '96 was a particularly bad year. So we, uh, I think, we finished third from the bottom, and um, you know, having finished the season before and the season before that in second place behind the Great Wigan team, never expected uh, Leeds to do well in the Super League, but then. Teams seem to have caught us up. You know, teams like you know Warrington and Bradford. They, whenever I'm full time, you know they seem to get a jump on the the Leeds Rhinos. A few of a few of the Leeds uh, big names left the club, and then uh, we just confidence was low. And then um, finances were, were terrible behind the scenes, which we weren't privy to as as players. But then I remember uh, I got picked for Great Britain to tour. Uh, New Zealand in '96, uh, and uh, Gary Etherington was actually uh, an assistant coach to Phil Larder. And uh, every opportunity he got Phil. Uh, sorry, uh, Gary was asking me questions about Leeds, and uh, I just thought it was very strange. But <laughs> until, until I got back to uh, 
in the UK. That's when Gary, along with uh, Paul Caddick, had actually bought the club and then they started a rebuilding phase. When, when, when they seen the announcement, that's when I realised he was getting information off me. I just thought it was a bit of a weirdo, a bit of a talk. I just thought, why is, he, why is he tingling me out? But then everything made sense after that. And then So then they started a, a rebuilding phase. You know, they, they had to save the club first of all. Then they started you know, trying, trying to get the money back, but then also get a competitive side and um, you know, be... Uh, be, be, be challenging. It was probably probably a five-year plan, but then um, you know after after a couple of years, you know they stemmed the the um, the the cash flow, you know the, the money going out, and then the, the money then the club become a you know a club that makes money, and then uh, obviously yeah. it was going well on the field, and then there was some uh, some great times. Um, Ahead for the for the lead Yeah. Well, you mentioned 1996 being a tough year, Ollie. But but in actual fact, you were making a name for yourself. And uh, at 96, you got your international debut for England uh, in a comfortable 73 points to six win over France at Gateshead. But uh, again, as you've touched on, it was the much tougher uh, opposition lie ahead when you were selected on the Great Britain Rugby League tour to Papua New Guinea and New Zealand. You didn't play in the 72-4 and 32-30 wins against Fiji uh, and PNG. But having played well against the Lion Red Cup team in the midweek game, you were brought into the team to face the Kiwis at Ericsson Stadium in Auckland uh, on the 18th of October 96. Uh, and it was a difficult start to international football for you. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, you mentioned the year, even uh, it was a poor year for Leeds, but uh, it was a good yeah, for me personally, um, I got the uh, the Player of the Year award at, at Leeds, and uh, got in the Rothmans Yearbook, which is um, you know it was a big deal at the time, and played for England um, in, in the June, I think, against France. So, and to be picked for, for for Great Britain was was an incredible uh, achievement as a, for, for a 19 year old. So, as I say, it was a it was a poor year for Leeds, but great great year for me. Uh, Personally, and then, yeah, so I was playing well in the midweek team, and then I got a, an opportunity to play in the first test. And just all, all, all week, all the coaching staff was uh, the focus was on slowing slowing the Kiwis down. So it was something I wasn't used to to doing the, the lead. You know, we didn't really practice that in training, but all all the uh, all the practice was slowing down and you know get them in um, like wrestling moves and slow them down, slow them down, slow them down. So I was on the bench, and then. Um, all, all the uh, all, all all the information on the bench was uh, that they're playing the ball too quick. We need to slow down. Need to slow down. So, but you know, I should have been a bit more game game aware. But our players won several times throughout the game for holding down. You know, uh, slowing down. Bill Harrigan was the referee. But then as I went on, I just thought, right, I've got to do my job. I've got to slow these big Kiwis down. So then I'd only been on there five minutes and then slowed one of them down or attempted to. Uh, and then they do what they do now, you know, if it's a repeat offence, you're off to where I got Simbin straight away. There's only 10 minutes to go, so I knew he wasn't coming back on. And then he was winning by uh, 10 points at this point. And then as I was in the bin, uh, the Kiwi scored two late tries to uh, to, to win the game. But, um, you know, you could say it was, uh, to say it was shattered in the, the changing rooms would be, would be an understatement. You know, it was me, me great bit in debut when it ended uh Ended horribly like that. Yeah, tough, tough to take, especially for a young lad as well. But like you say, Bill Harrigan penalised you for holding down uh, Sean Oppe. Uh, and another time you were leading 12-10, but John Timu uh, crossed. Matthew Ridge added a conversion and a drop goal and made it 17-12 in the Kiwis' favour. You know, it just must be, like I say, a horrible feeling for a young lad. You were heartbroken, but, you know, like players like Terry O'Connor and Andy Farrell actually came up and console you. Yeah, they did, and they were they were fantastic. And uh, you know, to be fair, players like that they'll uh, they'll, they'll pick you up when you need to be picked up, and uh, they, they were great for me. And um, you know, I got dropped for the second test, but I played okay against the the Maori, and um, I got another opportunity in the third test. But we were we were busted in um, injury wise, and um, the morale in the, the in the in the squad was great. They sent half the squad home as a cost cutting exercise, and it didn't go down great. So the third test, we were hiding to nothing really. But um, I was just delighted to, to get another chance to, to represent Great Britain. And uh, 
we got Bebo in up scoring a try in that, that third test. So it was a it was a nice little um, nice little nice little moment for me. Uh, but but it was still wasn't great getting beat, but it was a bit of a consolation prize. Yeah, fantastic, really. I mean, like you say, the second test uh, in Manawatu, it's uh, you didn't play in it. It went in favour of the Kiwis, eighteen uh, fifteen. But in that final game, uh, you know, you, although you were beaten thirty two twelve, you crossed for your first ever test match try. So you know, you you had a, a horrendous sort of first test, but actually by the end of it, you were sort of relatively happy with your form, really. Uh, 13 months later, you'd appeared on the bench at Wembley and Laurie Daly had inspired the Kangaroos to a 38 points to 14 victory. Changes were made for the second test staged at Old Trafford uh, on the 8th of November 1997. You were brought into the second row to partner Chris Joint. So this was it, playing on the theatre of dreams, Old Trafford, something you dreamt of as a kid. Uh, and opposite you were some of the world's greatest players, uh, players like Laurie Daly, Wendell Saylor, Darren Lockyer. Uh, but you were being eyeballed by one particularly Australian from the pack. Um, I believe uh, Gordon Tallis was staring at you, trying to unsettle you. He was, and uh, he was a big um, a big idol of mine growing up. Um, Gordon Tallis, I just thought he played the game great. He was uh, extremely aggressive and uh, just loved the way he played the game. So... When I got my first chance to, to play against him, it was the week before, you know, at Wembley, but I'd come off the bench. Um, but, but, you know, it's different starting than, than uh, in the test match and coming off the bench. But as we lined up to sing the last anthem, I went along the line and I could just see him staring at me. And I just thought, yeah, I've upset him, what's going on, what's happened here? And uh, I thought, I just ignored him. And then I looked up again and he was just staring at me. And just He's got a very uh, distinctive... Uh, Stare as as God and very unsettling, but then, but then uh, you know it worked the other way. Really. Instead of like intimidating me, I just thought if he's trying to put me off my game, he must think I'm doing something right. So then it gave me big, give me confidence then, and then uh, so I played the game and you know without uh, coming to blow with a thought, I held my own against uh, against the great God in Talis. And uh, we ended up winning that, that test match uh, at Old Trafford. And uh, it was great. The first first time we ever got a chance to, to play uh, at the Theatre of Dreams and we ended up beating uh, Australia. So it was a good day at the office, Kevin. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, you know, Gordon Tallis would have terrified me, I must admit it, really. So, you know, uh, thumbs up to you for, uh, you know, for, for staring him out on that, really. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the uh, the following week, uh, you know, they decided they'd beat us at Ellen Road, but I actually asked Gordon, could I uh, swap jerseys with him? Uh, yep, yep, no problems, Adrian. And, and when we were swapping, he actually said, I've been watching your career. I watched you for Leeds, and then that was the year of the World Club Challenge, you know, down under and, and over here. And he said, I've been watching your career, Adrian. I just think you've got a big, big career in the sport. And for him to say that to me, you know, what, you know one of my heroes, it just made me feel... Ten feet tall, and I just thought, wow, um, what a great accolade! And uh, I don't, I don't have many jerseys at home, you know, but he's, he's uh, one of the jerseys that's uh, proud of place at home. Yeah, well, it was the fourth uh, game in that famous Great Britain jersey, and it was an exceptional twenty points to twelve victory. One of your best ever games for Great Britain, do you think? Um, yeah, it was up there. I mean, I don't remember. Uh, it was that long ago. I don't remember a great deal about it, but I just remember. Uh, I just remember playing well, and um, yeah, as I say, it was it was it was a long time ago. But I just more delighted with the win more, more than anything because it was at Old Trafford as well. All my you know friends and family come down, and just felt uh, immense pride at beating the Aussies and doing it in my own backyard in front of all my uh, my loved ones. So it was uh, yeah, it was uh, it was great, but. Um, no, yeah, I remember playing well, but I don't remember too much about it from being there. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Jason Robinson crossed for a try. Andy Farrell uh, added a try and six goals for uh, Great Britain. And uh, for Australia, Craig Gower and Steve Walters scored tries and Darren Lockyer kicked two goals for Australia. Like you say, the decider was Alan Road, uh, but as is the case with Australia, they bounced back uh, to win a one-sided game uh, by 37 points to 20. 
sort of after the series, the team, you know, as usual, got together for a few drinks uh, and it took you over from Leeds over to Wigan uh, with the rest of the North West players. Uh, but you got in some hot water when you went uh, over to Tenerife with the Wigan contingent of Chris Rudlinski, Gary Murdoch, Andy Johnson and Gary Connolly and returned late to training at Leeds. You got a bit of a bollocking, didn't you? I, I, I did, yeah, because, you know, <laughs> the, the full club was due back on, uh, well, I can't remember the date, but it was only a couple of days after the, the third and final test match. So when I was drinking with the Wigan boys in the pub and it was a spur of the moment, they, they just said, uh, we're going to Tenerife tomorrow, oh, you fancy it? And then when you're young and uh, <laughs> impulsive, well, yeah, yeah, I love that. So I went to Tenerife for a week, but then I uh, went to the rank home just to check in on my mum. She said, oh, uh, Dean Bell's been on the phone. Uh, you know, this is the time when they went more by phone. It's just, that's where you were. And I told him, he's in Tenerife. And he went, oh, he should have been uh, reported back for training uh, a couple of days ago. But anyhow, I did get back and he did, uh, he did see the funny side. He did say, <laughs> look, you know, you did, you did deserve uh, rest after the uh, after the grand final. But uh, he just said it. I had to save face and as I was walking into his office, you know, we had a face like thunder and then we shut the door and he started laughing really. So uh, he just uh, gave the impression he gave me a, gave me a rollick in, uh, in front of all the boys. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's it. I mean, Dean, you know, will have been not that long retired, really. So we know exactly what it was like for players. Uh, but things were changing at Leeds and they made a change at the top with uh, Graham Merry, uh, sort of replaced Dean Bell in the head coaching role. And he was a man that you instantly warmed to. Yeah, he was fantastic. He was great for me personally, but great for the, for the, uh, for the club and for the team. I mean, he didn't do things... Out of the ordinary. I mean, he was a very competent and accomplished coach, but he didn't do things that you know were uh, you know light years and ten years above everyone else. Like that. But what he did have was he created a fantastic team spirit. I mean, uh, you know, alcohol is not not uh, sort of frowned upon now, but it's not not really part of, of the rugby league uh, world anymore. Whereas back in the day, you know, it was we were just coming from part time to full time, and drinking was a big part of rugby league. But he was he was always excited and willing to get the boys together for a drink. And um, as I say, we, we created this uh, fantastic uh, team bond, and um, and uh, a lot of it was uh, um, you know going out and having a good time together, and Graham would be with us, and uh, so we'd always engineer it, or, you know, and, and try and get money out of Gareth and intend to take us away that kind of thing but so you know when you when you do have that uh, that trust and that, that respect for the coach that's half the battle in terms of getting your place to perform in my opinion and uh, we, we loved Moza and um, you know we, we'd, we'd uh, run through a bit walls for him in that year it was, was, was fantastic his first year and the inaugural grand final we beat, beat Wigan twice actually in the league home and away uh, but then we got them in the grand final and they were, they were just too good on the night but it was uh, a typical grand final where it was raining and miserable conditions but not we didn't see it was we, we were more of a dry dry pitch type of uh, team and Easton Harris just got the man of steel he was untouchable that year but it really stifled him in the grand final and I think the difference was between the two teams was uh, Jason Robinson he scored a wonderful individual try but it was a it was a really hard beated grand final and uh, but it was a it was a great year all round uh, 98 yeah, yeah. It's like say it was that Jason Robinson wonder try that split the teams and it finished ten points to four. But you know, a great season. You know, Leeds had played superbly well and, and were a little bit unlucky really in that final. But the following season, nineteen ninety nine, you gain revenge against Wigan in the fourth round of the Challenge Cup, defeating them twenty eight points to eighteen, then disposed of Saints twenty four sixteen, witness forty six ten, and Bradford in in the semis, 23-10. Uh, it seemed like the loss of that grand final the previous year, you know, just gave you extra determination to succeed uh, uh, and win some trophies. Yeah, it certainly did. I mean, um, you know, making that grand final, it was all devastated after it. But it's funny, the, the, the following season and pre-season, you meet up and we sit down and make goals and, um, and we just have a, you know, obviously... When, when that's the next big big cup challenge, we want to win that. So Gary Edmonton coming in normally, the way that the pay pay structure is formatted, uh, for the first round you might get five hundred pounds for a win. Uh, second round seven hundred fifty pounds. 
you know, semi-final, £1,000, semi-final, uh, it's the big one, the semi, because if you make the final, win or lose, you get, the club gets a lot of money. Anyway, he worked all out and he said, look, uh, if, you, if you win everything, you probably earn about £10,000. Now, I've, I've got a deal for you. He said, um, it's an all or nothing deal, so if you do it not the normal way and you win, you get added up 10000 But if you win the Challenge Cup final, you get £13,000. If you get to the final and lose, you get nothing. So we all looked at each other thinking, you know, is it incentivising us here? But we were that confident and we were that disappointed for the season. Both said, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll take the uh, all or nothing deal. So that, that goes to show how much confidence we had in each other. And then um, when we did get the win, there, there was there was rumours that Gary had invited White London Broncos to win that fight. He just <laughs> did have to play as the, 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 the bonus. But but true to his word, we all got the uh, all got the money, and um, yeah, we all got the uh, accolade of being uh, Challenge Cup final uh, winners. Yeah, I, mean, I, I personally like Gary, but he has got a reputation for being a little uh, uh, tight-fisted, I believe, in the game. So uh, anyway, but just one one story really. That, you know, before the final against London Broncos, and I thought this was fantastic actually. Uh, so Graham Murray had sensed there might be a risk of complacency. Uh, so the night before the game, he instructed, you know, your teammates to write down what each of them felt about each other and hand those notes in. And then later that evening, I think you found a sheet of paper was slipped under your door with all the comments that your teammates had made about you. And it, and it just blew you away. Yeah, it was, it was a, uh, you know, it was coaching, a stroke of coaching genius on, on Graham Murray's behalf. And um, you know, just to just to uh, reinforce what what your your teammates think of you, and talk it there and there in black and white is uh, really really powerful. And um, you know, it, it really did uh, uh, did do the job. And um, yeah, it, it certainly served its purpose. And uh, we went out there and got the win. But yeah, it was uh, you know a fantastic piece of coaching, as I say. And it was uh, really uh, really heartwarming to um, you know to to realise because lads you know lads and lads they don't they don't say what they think or feel but you know for them to to be given an opportunity just to write it down and uh yes it was unbelievable and um, you know i think i still got the, the piece of paper <laughs> somewhere it was that uh it was that great so uh yeah it was uh wonderful and the whole experience you know going down and staying in the hotels all together and then uh you know celebrating and going into london and all that it was uh really, the only the only downside of it was uh back in the day because we was few games having this cup run we uh we had to play a, a fixture on the tuesday night so so saturday night we had a good drink but then the sunday the, the bus ride home it was all rough and you know when you're rough you just need a bit just to sort your hangover out but it was a dry dry bus ride home on the uh on the sunday anyway we got to uh got to head in there and uh yesterday night was fantastic captain you know the ultimate professional. I was quite surprised he got us all into his laps. Uh, I know what Mother said, but uh, I'm quite happy for you all to go out and have a beer tonight. You, you've earned it. You deserve it. So we we had a, we had a, did have a drink on that Sunday, and then we played on the Tuesday. We got a good idea off off Saints, but uh, but it was a bush ride. Oh, it was a really long it was a long journey when you're uh, when you when you're hanging. Yeah, well, I mean, Yeston's a good bloke, really. I've had him on the podcast and, uh, you know, he was a fantastic guest. Um, you know, just just uh, uh, harping back to the, uh, you know, the little notes that were slipped under the door, you know, the sort of comments that were on there with, I wouldn't swap Moss for anyone. It gives me confidence when he's in our team. He's a real leader. It You know, it was just psychological magic from uh, Graham Murray, just yeah. getting to you in the right frame of mind. And like you say, it certainly did the trick. Uh, yeah, sort of emphatically beat Broncos 52.16 to lift the Challenge Cup. You know, I, I mean, it was the first piece of silverware at Leeds for, well, for, for years and years. It was, it was, and it was great to get the, the monkey off our back and, and get the win. And then, um, you know, I'd like to think that victory was the uh, the catalyst then for, for future teams, uh, you know, to enjoy the success they've had uh, over the last 20 odd years. 
In the next issue of the Adrian Morley interview, part two, we discuss joining the Roosters and his grand final success, his sending off against the Kangaroos in the 2003 Ashes series, and his return to England and three Challenge Cup victories with Warrington. So what does Rugby League Cares do? Through Rugby League Cares and the welfare programmes, they help give players a better balance. The Benevolent Fund have been amazing for me from the day that I lost Danny. We're just trying to normalise the conversations of mental health. We're talking about anxiety, we're talking about depression and the signs and the symptoms. There's nothing wrong with having expectations with on yourself and creating internal pressures. But what we're talking about here in terms of stress is when it becomes too much. They really are really are angels in disguise. The work of Rugby League Cares is so important because it does what it says on the tin. Because Rugby League Cares. Because Rugby League Cares. Because Rugby League Cares. Ellis Rugby is proud to partner Rugby League Cares, supporting both the charity and the Rugby League Benevolent Fund through the annual Rugby League Lions Luncheon. We are passionate about the game's heritage and our Ellis Rugby garments are inspired by the many great players, the wonderful teams and the great games of the past. Ellis Rugby, the rugby heritage brand. I hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Ellis Rugby Podcast. Our aim is to tell the untold stories behind some of the world's most outstanding rugby players. You can help. Rate us in iTunes or give us a review and spread the word about this podcast. Reviews and ratings really make a difference. Thank you for listening to the Ellis Rugby Podcast. Check out our Rugby Heritage clothing collections at ellisrugby.com.